Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. What up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? Holy cow, that was amazing. Ooh. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I forgot to breathe because I was like, oh, no. I'm, I am I, mm. <laughs> I don't know how to... Yeah, that was... Mm. My arm hair is on end. Is it? Yeah. So is my pit hair. What? Yeah, my chest hair is standing straight up. Oh, my God. Yeah, all my hairs. Wow. Totally. That was amazing. Like, thank you, Tommy Chong, for talking with us. I mean, I can't believe we just hung out with Tommy Chong. Yeah, right? Yeah. He's a living legend. It's so incredible. Can you believe it's been 40 years since Up in Smoke came out? Yeah, well, that's, you know, old. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like a long time for a movie, but it's still so timeless. Yeah, that's why we got to talk to him, because it's been out for 40 years, and there's a Grammy Museum exhibit celebrating the release of Up in Smoke 40 years ago with, like, a, a huge retrospective with a bunch of, like, cool paraphernalia. Yeah, scripts and shit. And, like, action figures. Yeah. Old telegrams. Which was wild. Yeah. Like, telegrams that don't have Cheech or Chong's address, they're just sent to the Roxy. Yeah. Right? Yeah, or The Bitter End, I or think. Or The Bitter End, yeah. from Lou Adler, who owns The Roxy. Yeah. And he was the director. The legend himself. So many legends. So crazy. Yeah. I had not seen that movie in a while, and to revisit it to lead up to interviewing Tommy, I was like, oh, this whole thing still holds up. Holds up and is super, super relevant even today. Yeah. On all the same points. Like... Mm-hmm immigration and it's cool when we asked him about it like how, how he feels it holds up he has such a great answer it's yes because it feels like his answer has even evolved more and he's more outspoken yeah. now than he might have been then yeah he has so much to say yeah good backstories okay real talk like there were some stories in there that i did i love behind the scenes stuff yeah give me any of the juicy thing that would be in a memoir on page 206 yeah so this was cool and we were only supposed to talk for a half hour yeah and we ended up just hanging out oh mm-hmm. it was so good was i'm just good hearing hang. about some of the people that he's hung out with and like some of the legends that he hobnobbed with like back in the day yeah i don't want to ruin anything else but before we get to the interview we should just say that the exhibit is at the grammy museum here in la um you can visit grammymuseum.org for more information and um yeah if you haven't seen the movie watch up in smoke if you have seen the movie Watch it again and be blown, like roll a spliff, yeah. spark it up, watch it. It's only an hour and 20 minutes. It's, yeah. And you'll laugh the whole time and you'll be like, oh my gosh, poignant. And you'll notice things that you didn't notice before maybe. Yeah, like, totally. It was great seeing all the little stoner clues that are sprinkled throughout in the production design, like funny license plates and shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tommy Chong, thank you for being so nice and welcome us, welcoming us into your home. Yeah. Uh, gracious with your time tremendous at stories so funny and uh wow what a dream come true yeah is there anything else i think that's it okay uh real quick like subscribe tell your friends especially tell your friends about this one get the word out leave a review uh do all those things you continue to do thank you to everyone who is new and thank you to everyone who is old and thank you to everyone in between don't forget to get high (laughs) at this point i'm rambling please stay save me thanks guys hit us up on socials at we didn't grab on everything email us like subscribe all that stuff and without further ado here is our sit down with tommy chong (sighs) fuck yeah
Thank you. Bye. Looking forward to seeing the proofs. <laughs> yeah. By the way, your necklace is great. Yeah, I make them. You do? It's a pipe, actually. Wow. Yeah. That's so a functional cool. pipe. Oh yeah. All all jewelries that I wear is functional. Nice. <laughs> Function and um, form. This is made out of mastodon tusk. Whoa. Which is eleven million year old elephant basically, you know, with a curve, you know, those yeah. tusks. I found it in um, a chunk of it in uh, Alaska. And so I, I I made a bunch of these. Oh my gosh. Were you just strolling along and you found it on a beach? Or? No, no, uh, in a shop. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they're it's kind of pricey, you know. Yeah. But ivory is the best thing to carve, you know, because there's no grain. And you can, it's like marble, actually. Yeah. You can carve anything you want. That's why it's so uh, valuable in, in the Orient, because you can carve the most intricate little things out of it. Mm-hmm. There's something cool about s- smoking out of history. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's, it's cool. got, a, got a feeling. I, they asked me, I was on a podcast one time, and they asked me, what's the weirdest pipe you got? And I have a pipe. It's stuck away somewhere. But it's made out of, I think, of a human bone. I got it in Australia. I think it was Australia. Yeah. In a, some kind of like a charit- charitable place. Okay. But it's a it's a chillum, uh huh, and and it. I haven't had it tested or anything, but I'm quite sure, you know, back in the day, the headhunters, you know, totally, and, and they wrap sinew around around the the, the bowl part, and then they use the uh, the pipe. I mean, the bone itself, kind of like a filter, you know, because it's hot. You know, the sure. little hollow things. They dug it out and you put the weed in the thing and you you smoke it like this here or like this here. Wow. But it's kind of freaky. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, what's it like? And I said, I've never tried it. No. Yeah. I don't want to smoke out of a <laughs> human bone. Right? It's somebody named Chad. Like, you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> no, especially when you can smoke out of stuff you know. Because back when I was collecting pipes, I would be stupid. I'd try try it, you know. And then one time I picked up a, it was like a gourd, made out of a gourd, you know. And I don't know what was in it, but anyway, it got in my, my, my throat, you know. Ever since then, I learned better. <laughs> Speaking of artifacts, um, with the retrospective at the Grammy Museum, I was looking through... Uh, some of the things that you guys unearthed and I wondered about that 1971 Telefax from Lou Adler you each got one saying that pe- people were talking about you from oh, yeah. Lou Adler yeah saying Tommy's spreading rumors about you no Cheech yeah. and then you got one saying that Cheech was spreading rumors about you <laughs> what was behind that what's the story I have no idea <laughs> was he I just messing no with you we, yeah, we mess with each other, you know. In fact, Cheech and I never rehearsed. Wow. But what we would do, we'd do interviews. Yeah. And then we'd kind of work out bits uh, while we're talking. And, uh, yeah, because, you know, yeah. rather than rehearse, let's just record. That's, That's what we, we would it. do. Yeah. So like just in a room together? Yeah. Just riffing? Well, when we st- first started working, uh, when we signed with Lou Adler, he said, what do you need? You know, and 
he saw the act and he says, okay, I'll sign it. What do you need? And we said, uh, a couple of thousand dollars and a, and a little tape recorder. That's what I asked for. And so he said, okay. And he got, a, he got his secretary to get us a little tape recorder. And, and we went into the mixdown room at A&M Records, which was the old Charlie Chaplin Studios at one time, Man. movie studios, mm -hmm. and a lot of history. And so we went in this little room, and that's where they'd mixed down all the, the music that they had recorded there. And, but the trouble is, Cheech was a, he was like a, a realist, you know. He has to, you can't just record. He had to like get into character and everything. And so he went outside, and he was going to knock on the door, and I was supposed to open the door and let him in. But it was really hot. It was like today. Yeah. And it was hot outside, and he had his hat on, a coat, and he's supposed to be a drug dealer. And so he knocked on the door, and I, and I was trying to record it. And so when he knocked, I looked up, and I didn't look at the recorder to see if the needle was moving. Uh -huh. And so I was looking at that, and then... I realized he knocked, and, and then he knocked again, and I saw it was a recording. So I said, who is it? Starting out the bit. And he goes, uh, it's me, man. Open up, I got the stuff. I think the cops saw me. And so I'm staring at the tape recorder, thinking if it was recording or not, and he knocked again. Yeah. And so I started the bit again. You know, I said, who is it? <laughs> and, and I could hear him. He got pissed off. It's me, man. Open up. And so now I know that I got him. He's outside in the heat. He's trying to get in, and I'm sitting there acting as dumb as I could. <laughs> <laughs> acting as dumb as I could. Anyway, by the time I let him in, he was so pissed. And he started screaming at me, and it's hot out there, man. I could have got sunstroke, you know. It was, and he, I said, listen, listen, listen. So we played it back, and that became our first album cover, wow. Dave's Not Here. And we laughed so hard. And we never did record the original as funny as, you know, the recording was never as funny as the original. Right. And so from that day forth, I never, never recorded anything, you know, never practiced anything without recording it just in case and so far you know it worked for what nine albums and yeah and six movies you know? yeah how did how did the movie unfold with that kind of energy behind it of like you sort of had a roadmap and then you just filmed right uh, like you knew where you were going but not exactly how it was going to happen we, we actually did the same thing as as our recording Every day, uh, we, we had a roadmap for sure. Like, uh, there was a lot of talk about there was no script. There was a script. I wrote the script, you know, uh, 40 pages. But it was a script. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was a lot more crazier than, than what ended up on film. You know, because, for instance, when the van burned up, I had uh, airline pilots getting high. That's so funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I had birds getting high. I had, like they're I steering had, with their knees yeah, yeah. in the air. Just yeah. <laughs> I had everybody getting high. But because of the reality of the cost and everything else, it boiled down to the cops just getting high and munchies on, on pizza. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, what we did. Lou Adler wanted to make it a Cheech and Chong's greatest hits, 
because that's all he had a record mind and and so every once in a while we would put in bits from our records in the movies but never made the movie you know they were outtakes and and then and like we did an old man bit in the in the jail and harry dean staten was was the jailer and and that never made the movie wow you know and there was all sorts of i had another bit with uh struthers martin you know where I, I did a, a, a an homage to uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Mm. If you remember when James Dean and, and the father had that thing, you know, you don't listen to me. That you know, and uh, and so I, I had a little homage be, between me and and uh, Struthers, but it got too serious and it wasn't funny and it never made the cut. Mm. But yeah, we had a. We had a script. Every movie had a script, mm-hmm. and then we would just work around it, you know. And mm-hmm. and we'd be driving to the gig, and and like Jade East, uh, the girl that played Jade East, she was telling us about how her girlfriend would make love to her boyfriend, and his his name was Alex. <laughs> That's right. And so so when we heard that story, we got to the Roxy. And I, and I told Lou, I said, we got a new bit here. And so Lou said, go ahead, you know, set up the cameras and blah, blah, blah. And we did the whole bit. And um, that's the way we did the whole movie. Yeah. You know, what, what it was, we, we were go- going to eventually get deported and then drive the, the marijuana van back. Mm-hmm. But on the way there and the way back, we, we ad-libbed and got, got all the funny... Uh, Funny bits. Now the 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 nuns at the border. That was a Lou Adler, Lou Lombardo uh, brainstorm. Really, you know? and the, and the cops chasing the cops. The mm-hmm. cops chasing us, and the cops, you know, they're, they're, all the cop stuff was a Lou Adler, Lou Lombardo. Mm-hmm. They they took care of that part, you know, because the cops. I had a there at the time. I was a, a big uh, committee fan, and I was watching. Absolutely. I would watch the committee. And and I tried to get them involved in the movie, and I offered them a part uh, as a part of Sidenko, and they actually turned it down because they they were a little above Cheech and Chong, you know. Right. Even <laughs> though they're they're doing s- such similar things like comedy. Yeah. At that time. But they 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 felt we intruded into their their uh-huh. realm, you uh-huh. know, and rather work together. So I ended up. Uh, when I directed, then I, then I direct, I directed the uh, the ending of Up in Smoke, because they, they put the movie together. Lou and Lou Lombardo put the movie together, and they never had an ending. It hmm. was a terrible ending that they had, and so then I had a, I wrote the ending, and that's and I directed the ending. Wow. You know, which is us driving off into the into the sunset with Cheech dropping hash on his uh, crotch. <laughs> you know. But. Um, but yeah, that 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 started the whole the whole doper uh, marijuana thing going, yeah. Because that was the first, and and now it's so relevant. What do you think it says to modern audiences, like the you know someone seeing it for the first time now? What's changed? The immigration thing, is right? Right. <laughs> it's exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, because see, the immigration problem it's not a problem it's a it's a what, what do you call it? It, it it's what 
it's needed. You see, you can't, trying to stop immigration is like trying to stop uh, animals from migrating from uh, one area to another mm. for food and water. Yeah. Because basically that's you what they're survive. doing. That's what they're doing. Yeah. People are, they can't make it here, so they have to move to where the work is, where the food is. And there's so much work in America for people that will pick grapes or will garden or will do, you know, the gardening and cutting trees and everything else. There's so much work for them. Mm -hmm. And there's so much need for them. And so this political play that, you know, that Trump and the boys are doing now, it's just shows you how how amateurish uh, Trump is. He has no idea of the world order, for instance. You know? Right. No idea. None. No idea. I mean, he can't really manage his own life. No. You know, how's he going to take care of a whole country? I think everyone in the Illuminati is embarrassed by him, you know? Well, yeah, you're embarrassed. But also, I, I did an interview earlier, and, and, I, and I, I put out a theory that I've had since Trump got in in power, because you know I'm I'm Canadian, and so am I. Yeah, we're from Toronto. I'm from Newfoundland. Oh, you're a Newfie. I'm a Newfie. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. You found America. <laughs> <laughs> I made it. I got off the island. That's good. I've never been there. Oh, they can't love wait to, have to go. You. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's great. They'd love to have but you. being a Canadian, you know, we look at things in a different manner you know we look at real because in canada you're real you can't play you can't pretend you know because when you you know you grow up like i did in the in the prairies in a uh, you know outdoor plumbing and a water next door at the pump and, you know and you have to survive every day uh is a survival trip yeah. from the time uh, you know when I was eight years old or seven, eight years old, uh, chopping wood and carrying water and doing all that stuff, y you get a better look at reality, you know, and, and you can see things that are real. Mm -hmm. You know, you, there are no, no pretensies here, you know. And so when, you know, that's why we migrated down here because Cheech and I, we did everything we could do in Vancouver, mm -hmm. couldn't go any further. But once I figured out, you know, we had a comedy team, and boom, we got to go to L.A. Mm -hmm. and, and luckily, I had a green card thanks to Motown. And so oh. Motown got me a green card. Okay. And so I'm here legally. And then, I, then Reagan got my uh, citizenship Yeah. because of the immigration. Yeah. And he was going out of office. And, and so the last thing he did is amnesty for everybody that was here. And everybody got sworn in and... We started, which is great, mm -hmm. which is fabulous. And so, uh, you know, this is what we're, it's, it's just, you know, we're, we're in the state now, but I believe that Trump is divine. It's a divine move that got Trump in, in, into the position he was. Because you can't clean a swamp unless you know what the swamp animals look like. You That's know. so interesting. You think he's flushing them out? Totally. You can see them now. Totally. That's mm. Totally. Wow. And when you see the swamp, now you see who, mm. who, the, who the real people are, who the bad people are. You see them. Yeah. You know, he's brought them all out. And so now they're targeted. 
you see? Yeah. And so that's why the smarter Republicans are quitting because they know there's no future with this guy. Mm. And the other ones that are hanging on, they got nothing else. They got, they got to hang on to him because there's nothing else. And once, once uh, the Dems take back the House and take back the country, you know, Trump and his, all his people are going to go to jail. Yeah. And, and there's no deal making. Like Nixon, for instance, they had pity on Nixon because he was a vice president. He was a president. And even though he was a crook and he did all those evil things, they still sent him out like a warrior, you know. They said, okay, you resign, and then Gerald Ford will pardon you, you know, and it's clean. But he still died in disgrace, mm. you know. Yeah. It, well, with Trump, the first thing Trump did was attack the very people that, are, you know, are, their whole job is to protect America from Trump. Mm. Their whole job, a Trump. And their whole job, FBI, the CIA. And the minute Trump went after Obama with the birther thing, mm. he opened this investigation. And so all during Obama's tenure, they were investigating Trump. Yeah, mm -hmm. they were. Have, they were. They found all this stuff out, mm -hmm. and they got a, a dossier. Uh, it's it's a bigger than probably probably eighteen volumes of it. Yeah, because the man never ever wanted to be president. Mm -hmm. He just wanted the money, mm -hmm. and so when Putin said, you know, hey, I'll give you this, I'll give you that, and Trump, okay, I can do this. Thinking now, see, he's a double crosser, so he, he tried to lose the election, mm -hmm. and he almost did it. it was, he was close. He almost did it yeah. until Comey checkmated him. Comey moved in and said Hillary was going to win, and Trump was going to walk away with the money, scot free, mm -hmm. be able to bug Hillary for four years or whatever. Yep. And what happened instead, Comey came in at the last minute and checkmated him and just knocked Hillary out of the game. And next thing you know, Trump won. <laughs> and he was not prepared to win. Mm. He had a, a, a cake celebrating his loss. Whoa, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he had a cake what? made to celebrate his loss. Ooh, I bet it would have tasted sweet for him. Nobody, nobody in his circle was ready for him to win. Nobody. Wow. When Bush won, Bush gathered his... his Bush Jr. Junior, yeah. he, he gathered Cheney, he gathered everybody around, he had a cabinet, he had everybody ready to go, legitimate, you know, uh, to, to, to a, uh, an extent. Trump had nobody, nobody. And so when he got in, then they had a makeshift, you know, the Republican Party, they had to pull stuff together and, and get this and Rice Priebus and all these guys, and none of them expected Trump to win. Nobody expected them to win. They thought they were going to have Hillary for another four sure. years. Mm -hmm. And then Trump can golf and tweet and just be on his way. Yeah. And be on his, be, be, you know, have a, a great life. Yeah. And Howard Stern and Trump, they had a meeting. I don't know if you ever heard, heard the show, but Howard Stern said to him, Donnie, you know, you don't want to be president, do you? And he said, no. And Trump said, no, of course not. He said, don't worry, you know, because with his past, he couldn't afford to be. Mm. Sure. So when he got this, is what I, this is what I call it. No, I call it White House arrest. <laughs> <laughs> He's so stuck. Because think, until he took that oath, they never had a reason to go after him. 
mm. even for money laundering. You know, they never had a real sure. reason to go after him until he took the oath. Yeah. The minute he swore to uphold the Constitution, the minute he put his hand on the Bible and, and swore, then uh, Comey and them, they said, we got him. Wow. We got him. And so then, now, look what happened. You know? Yeah. Comey, Comey's playing, and he, Comey's an actor, great actor. You think so? Oh. He's All one right. of the best. When he was on... When he was talking, I can't remember what From it was, a trailer on. thing? It was an everything, unbelievable everything thing. Everything, though. Yeah. Everything. Hmm. Because this guy, eight years ahead of the FBI, his only job is to take down gangsters. You think he doesn't know every game in the book that, that Trump was playing? Hmm. You think he didn't know about the, the money laundering and the Russian money and the, yeah. and the Russian stuff that was going on that Putin's got him on? They all know. And so they played the game. And if you notice, the military the chief of staff who is that kelly mm. military mm-hmm. all those military because they're the guys that are keeping an eye on trump see if he wanted to play nuclear bombs or something you know sure. yeah they have to go through the military so the military has got him in check they got him in check and so now what they're doing now they're just keeping him calm until uh, he really buries himself because he keeps burying himself yeah. yeah, you know he doesn't have to testify because he confesses on Twitter every day. Yeah, mm-hmm. he confesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and he believes a lot of the stuff he says. He believes because he he is so fr- so frightened now because he knows what he's done. Yeah. He knows what Putin has on him, and Putin has a ton of stuff on. Oh, him. show me the P tape. Yeah, <laughs> let's see it. Hey, there's another tape. Of Oh, you know another tape? Yeah. Well, Tom Arnold has that whole series of tapes he's threatening to reveal, yeah, right? Yeah, he's got that, and he's got underage. What? No. Yes. Way. Yes. Yeah. Putin has that. Sure. Putin has that. Yeah. Of course. He's a freak. Was he going to stop with peeing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where do you go? No. Wow. You know, that's nothing. That's the least of his problems. He is so done. He is so, and he knows it. Yeah. And that's why he's going crazy now. Could yeah. you, can you imagine? It's like a trapped rat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Worse, worse. And then he has to go and play president. You know, and, and that's why he's so mean. That's mm-hmm. why he's doing what he did with the kids. Yeah. Because that's the only way he can get back at people is just to be mean and rotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and which is fine because our system is, is set up to handle that stuff. Yeah. You know? okay. Like they were saying, you know, they're accusing Bernie of socialism and the liberal Democrats of socialism, sure. socialism, socialism. Yep. The biggest socialist party in America are the Republicans because of their jail system. See, a jail, a federal prison, is the, the la- socialist... Think about it. Well, I mean, you first-hand experience. Is yeah. this, this is where it's coming That's from. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. People have gone to jail. When I was in jail... There were people that committed crimes to get in jail, to get in the federal system, to get a heart uh, transplant, to get a heart operation, which they could never get on the outside. They couldn't afford it. They couldn't do it. But if they committed a crime, they get into the system, it's mandated, federal law, that they have to give them the medical attention they need. So there was at least one, maybe two heart operations in, in Taft when I was there. Wow. Open heart. And you talk to the people. They're not criminals. No. Not the least bit. I only met maybe maybe a handful of criminals. The rest were 
like political prisoner. And you were you were in for glass, right? For bongs. For bongs. Yeah. Selling bongs. Mm-hmm. It was a political bust. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It was Tommy Chong, and they wanted me, and, and Bush, and uh, uh, what's his name, Ashcroft. Mm-hmm. They wanted a notch on their belt. Yeah. And no matter what I'd done, it didn't matter what I'd done. They were going to give me time. Yeah. You know, and it was fine. Fine. I turned it into a spiritual retreat. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. The I Chong. Yeah. 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 That's exactly. Yeah. I just, what I did when I first went in, I started, the only thing they allow you to do is practice your religion. Mm. And so I hung with the Catholics for a while. I hung with the Jews for a while. I hung with all these different, uh, the Buddhists. Yeah. And then I ended up with the Indian Sweat Lodge Society. Of course. Yeah. And then I found a home. Yeah. And I found out, by the way, I'm 8% uh, native. Oh, wow. I have it all. So, Elizabeth Warren, you got company, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, wh- I, I want to ask some questions about weed. Sure. Yeah. Um, I read that you actually didn't smoke that much on set when you were filming Up and Smoke, right? No, not like not no, when you were no, filming. No, no, no. no what, what we what you do with weed is that you it's a it's a like a enhancer, hundred percent. You know, and it's a reward too. Yeah. You work and then you get a little reward. You know, it helps you relax. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, no, perform. We we messed up a few shots because we were too stoned. You know, uh-huh. like one time. They were rolling. They were expecting us to drive the van into the shot, and, and Cheech and I, we'd smoked up, and we kind of forgot what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> and so then all of a sudden, and, and when when you're shooting, they're quiet on the set, so there's no noise going on. So Cheech and I are sitting there smoking back and forth, you know. And finally, I heard that. Are you guys coming? <laughs> <laughs> and we said, Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, they, they, but. No, uh, smoked when I wrote it. Yeah, always. Know, when I when I came up with the ideas, <clears throat> especially the the weed the weed truck. Yeah, <laughs> made out of marijuana. That was an old joke I heard one time, where this guy was going across the border with a wheelbarrow, and it, it customs every day he would go by customs with this wheelbarrow and, and full of dirt mm-hmm. and. Custom thought, what's he doing, you know? And they'd search the wheelbarrow, couldn't figure out what he was searching, what he was doing, what he was smuggling. And finally, after years, he retired. And then the two guys got together and he said, Okay, you were stealing yourself. What were you stealing? What were you smuggling? He said, Wheelbarrows. (laughs) 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 That's where I got the idea for the truck, for the car. Yeah. Because you have any weed in here? No, sir. The whole truck's made of weed. <laughs> that whole you idea. weren't lying. Yeah. yeah. Going big. I mean, yeah. you, everything was so big in that movie. Like yeah. Your joints, your drumsticks. That was my m- mantra. And that's how I helped uh, uh, Jordan uh, Belford write Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, wow. Because he was, uh, we shared the same cubicle, you know. Yeah. Side by side cots. And uh, I was writing I Chong and, and uh, Jordan come in from tennis and he goes, uh, what, what are you doing? What are you writing? I, said, I told him, you know, a little, little bit. He said, I'm going to write. So he started writing and then, then he showed me his page. I felt like a, a teacher, you know? Yeah. He showed me his 
hand me the paper, and I, and I read it. He said, what do you think? I said, you really haven't written anything. Oh. Wow. Because that's how you talk to geniuses. No matter what they hand you, it's not good enough. Mm. But I was, I was serious, you know. Yeah. What he did, he copied, see, Jordan, all thieves, like, like Trump too, they don't have originality. They steal everything from mm. everybody. Mm -hmm. They steal the ideas. They steal thoughts. They steal everything. They don't have any faith of their own. And so Jordan stole Tom Wolfe. He, he started writing like Tom Wolfe because he lived in that, the Hamptons and all that. Sure. And so his first page was like a Tom Wolfe novel. Hmm. And so I told the Jordan, I said, you haven't written nothing. He said, well, what, do you, what, do, what should I write? And I says, write the stories you're telling me every night. Yeah. And then I give him a little cue. It was, uh, it's called, the rule called the most of. Mm -hmm. What you said, the most of. I says, make it big. If you're getting high, make it the biggest high you've ever had. You got high in quaaludes, make it the biggest quaalude high in the world. If you buy a yacht, make it the biggest yacht in the world. Big. Because that's what people want to read about, that's what they want to see. Because everyday life is boring. Yeah. You know, nothing. But if it's something that's unique and different, special, you know, all that. And he took my advice. And next thing you know, I, I'm out. I'm up here on uh, at the house. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was on the roof. I, no, I was on the balcony here. And he pulled up because we're not supposed to have any kind of meeting after we get out. You know, he's on probation. I'm on probation. Oh. So we're not supposed to uh, collaborate mm -hmm. in any way, you know. <laughs> so he's parked outside. He goes, hey, I sold my script, man. I sold my book. Yeah. Scorsese's gonna do a movie. Oh my God! He says, a "Wolf of Wall Street, the Wolf of Wall Street." I said, "Yeah, yeah," and he gives me credit all the time. That's yeah. amazing. That's so cool. You mentioned quaaludes, and I wanted to ask about, uh, you know, in the in Up in Smoke, man is only really ever a wreck when he's like, it's never about marijuana, <laughs> but he's a, a wreck when it comes to pills. Pills. <laughs> 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 like an indictment Reds. of well, pharmaceuticals. To, yeah, right? they used to call me uh, uh, Red Freak. Hey, Red Freak, want to ride, man? And the Reds were the two nulls yep. that you'd take and be half asleep. You know, they're sleeping pills. Oh. I'd, mm -hmm. be, I'd be like, uh, <laughs> be <laughs> wasted, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the weed, that's why the big joint, the hand of the big joint, I wasn't really interested in smoking. I'd rather get my pill high, you know. And that's why I became a drummer in the movie. Because okay. I'm by by nature a guitar player, right. oh. but but uh, 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 I used to I had a looted out uh, heroin addict drummer. <laughs> really, <laughs> and he fell off the stage one time. <laughs> went backwards, went over, and so that I, we put that in the movie. Yeah, you know the, the drums fall apart. And I, Was there anything that surprised you after? 40 years of Up and Smoke, like going through the artifacts, any weird things that you unearthed that you'd forgotten about or like a weird piece of merch? Like I know you have action figures yeah, of yourselves. Yeah. Like some of the stuff, is, was there anything that well, was like, wow. We were so ahead of our time. Mm -hmm. you know? 100%. Yeah. So ahead of our time. Like Lou, he kind of knew. And so he put out a little bit of merch, you know, that Paramount did a little bit, you know. Yeah. And I... I we never, Cheech and I never saw any, any profits from it, you know. Oh, wow. But uh, I, I imagine Lou did. I, I don't know. 
I don't think it was more like giveaway stuff back in the day. Always you know? get that swag. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They never sold anything. They, they it was like it was done to promote the movie. You yeah. know. Nowadays, the the T-shirt sales equal. That's real money. Yeah. You know, it almost equals the uh, what the what the performer gets. And when I was doing comedy, it used to equal my pay. I could sell as many more T-shirts than I got paid for doing comedy. No wow. kidding. Yeah. That's wild. Unbelievable. Wow. I got to say, when you, when you meet someone, the impact you have on their life is powerful but positive. Yeah. It's really incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, if anybody ever wants a picture, I, I never say no. Huh. Because I, I always take it as a compliment, you know, because I know there's going to be a time when they're not going to be asking for my picture. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, know, I don't know. And and I was always I was never looking for fame or fortune, but I knew I was going to get it. One time we were in 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 London, because once we got with Motown, Motown loved us. They loved the Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's because we were so weird and different. Mm. We used to go on the road with Diana Ross, and we would sing a song. And it, it was, back in the day, that's in the '60s. You know, there's a Parliament song called. Ooh, white girls sure look delicious to me. <laughs> and we used to sing that song. Uh-huh. And Diana Ross would give us notes. Please don't do that song. Yeah, because <laughs> we're playing to all the all the you know the white races. <laughs> and, and there's a black band with a with a Chinese half Chinese guy up there singing Ooh, white girls. And then the song we did was Does Your Mama Know About Me? Mm-hmm. And that was uh, that was a big uh, you know sort of like a racial hit too. Yeah. So we had a we had a great time. Motown loved us, but but then they took Bobby away from us, and so we never really had the singer anymore. Mm. And so the band broke up, and and then Motown uh, Barry Gordy helped me finance my trip to L.A. And that's when uh, I went up to Vancouver and, and became uh, turned the strip club into a improvisational club, mm-hmm. and then no met Cheech. That's how we did it. Yeah. History. History. But oh, I was going to tell you when I was in in uh, in in London with the Vancouver's, <clears throat> we were famous. The Vancouver's were very famous. We're playing in the parlor, and the whole L.A. the states, uh, the black uh, community knew about this band, and because Bobby Taylor was a very famous uh, soul singer, of the, like Wilson Pickett, and and you know that yeah that. that caliber and so when we went to london england to play at a club a little speakeasy it was called the speakeasy and we're playing and jimmy hendrix came in because he had heard we were playing there so hendrix walks in holy shit and it was again it was another we had an empty club until hendrix walked in with about 300 people behind him they came in filled up the club and then hendrix come up to the stage Mm -hmm. said hello to me Mm -hmm and said, uh, hey, mind if I sit in? And I was so tempted to say, uh, maybe the last set. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, we got our own stuff. Yeah, it's your thing. But I took up my guitar and he goes, no, no, I'll play bass. Because it was he's left-handed guitar, so he couldn't play my guitar, uh-huh. but he could play bass. Mm. So he sat in all night playing bass. And oh, it was it was trip. Oh. Because he he wasn't such a he was just a bass player. He's back there playing away, playing bass. Only 
guy that was pissed off was a bass player. Right, he's yeah. sitting there. <laughs> he, he, he never played with Hendrix. And then the next day, we're going to the airport in the Beatles limo, the, the famous limo that the Beatles had, and we're talking about how great it was playing with Hendrix. And I said, I remember this very, like it was yesterday, I said, I'm going to be bigger than Hendrix. And the whole band went, give me a look like, are you out of your mind? And and then the drummer said, how, what, what, playing guitar? I said, no. I said, no, not guitar. I just had a flash. Yep. I had a flash. And here we are. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Let's bring it home. Yeah. That's the most incredible story. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I don't know. Thank you for all everything. How do you <laughs> end? <laughs> what do you say except thank you for everything? Why not more stories? You I know? would love to hear them. <laughs> yeah. I know we're on a time. I, I yeah. got a I got a live app sometimes and uh, and uh, I get on it and sometimes I start rambling and then they type in there. I like your stories, Tommy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, because when you get old, that's all you got left. <laughs> They're all good. That's all you got. Yeah. yeah. Thank you goodness you, you tell them so well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my memories, you know, I've had such a phenomenal life, you know. I've met so many famous, I mean, like Muhammad Ali. Yeah. You mm. know. Bobby Taylor went to the went to the Olympics with Muhammad Ali when they, it was when he went to the Olympics uh-huh. and I think Bobby was a boxer at the time but he never just talked about it but he called me up one day in Detroit he goes hey man the champs coming over come on over the champs coming over I said what he said Muhammad Ali you know Cassius and he's coming over to the house so I so I the week before I was in San Francisco and was it a week? No, it was m- more than that, but uh, maybe a couple of months. But I was with a, a, a stripper friend because I once, you know, had a strip club and a, and this one stripper named Scarlett. Uh-huh. I met her and she goes, "Hey, guess who I made love with last night?" You know, who? She said, "Muhammad Ali." <laughs> I said, "No kidding!" Yeah. And so, when I got on the elevator to go up to see Shelby, I mean, to up to see uh, Muhammad Ali, uh-huh. he gets on the elevator with me. And now he doesn't know who I am. Sure. And so I'm standing there beside him. I says, uh, hey, champ, uh, Virginia says hi. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me that big eye look. He looked at me like, who, who, who are you? <laughs> who, who, what? Yes. And, and then when we got to the door, you know, he figured out who I was. Yeah. Oh, man, he gave me that look like. Man, you know, it's like a ghost or something, because <laughs> he had no idea. Wow. wow. Thank you for your time. Thank My you pleasure. Thank you so much. This has and, been uh, magic. Yeah, and people can go and check out uh, the retrospective at the Grammy Museum until oh, yeah, next the year, Grammy right? Museum. Did yeah. you know we got a re- retrospective there? Yeah. <laughs> go look at things. I guess we should have talked about that somewhere. We, well, you we got did, it in we? there, yeah. We did. We have we all the photos in. we're going to post. I like it's the Grammy Museum, man. Mm-hmm. I'd never been there before, man. Yeah, it was the first time. Yeah. The the photos I've seen, like, it just looks beautiful. So it's I gorgeous can't wait. exhibit. Everyone should go. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, man. This has been great. All right. Bye. Bye. That's a good. Yeah. We got it. One yeah. take. <laughs> first take. Yeah.